Hey, I'm Steve Fallon. Welcome to another one. This time, let's find out what it's like being freelance for filmmaker Ben Warburton. I spend a lot of my life travelling, which is fantastic, and I, I really enjoy travelling. But it comes at a cost. But that's part of being freelance. You don't get the luxury of a nine-to-five. And the reality is I actually really like that. I, I couldn't sit in an office behind a desk working nine-to-five when I could be doing this. And I guess that's something that I try and remember when, you know, things are tough. Routine kind of makes you complacent. It makes you overly comfortable. And as soon as that happens, I think you start to lose something as a creative. If you kind of have a different life almost every day, you're constantly looking at something different. You're constantly analyzing it differently. And that, you know, affects your work. That changes who you are as, as a creative person. Yeah, so there's Ben, who I actually spoke to right back at the beginning of the summer. Uh, I'm recording this on the 1st of October. So there, there's been quite a gap. Basically, just as with many of our guests, where we chat about work-life balance, I was struggling. (laughs) I had so much client work. I had family time to fit in, especially with the school holidays. And then on top of that, the vlog and the podcast, something had to give. Otherwise, the quality of any of them wouldn't have been what I wanted to be. So, yeah, I am sorry. (laughs) This this is what I figured I would pause. So looking forward to finally getting back into the swing of things. Check out beingfreelance.com for over 100 other guests. And uh, you can also find the vlog, which I'm going to get back into as well, a new one up there. So let's uh, let's let's get back into it and let's say hi to freelance filmmaker Ben Warburton. Hey, Ben. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for doing this. No, it's a pleasure. So let's start by hearing how you got started being freelance. Cool. Um, so I grew up in the northwest of England, as the accent may dictate. And I started in bands and started in music and, you know, did that circuit for a little bit. And, you know, one of the things of being a musician now is self-promotion. And so I started taking photographs of bands. I started making music videos. And then that just kind of started to to take into like a world of its own. Um, I started working with a lot of the bands that I'd grown up with. And eventually I decided that this is what I want to pursue. Um, Moved to London for film school. And that was kind of the harsh reality of then you have to be a freelancer, you know, or you have to kind of go in at the bottom level of a creative industry. And so I, I set up um, as self-employed as, at 16 and um, five years later, here I am. Man. So, yeah. <laughs> so when you were starting making those music videos and promo stuff, were you like contacting bands directly and offering to do, you know, like how did you get into doing that stuff that you wanted to do? I mean, a lot of it was quite organically. I Because I'd, I'd been in bands and I'd been in circuits with musicians, I kind of knew a lot of people and, and they knew me as, you know, the kind of the kid with the camera at that point. And so it just kind of stepped up from there. I didn't really pursue too much when, when I was in the Northwest. It was only when I then moved to London and suddenly had no contacts and it's a much bigger pool in London that I had to start working for free. I shot a a music venue for nine months on a Friday night between 9 p.m. and 4 a.m. for free, which was horrendous, but, you know, we all do it. So, yeah, it it started off quite organically, and it was only when I moved to London that I kind of had to pursue work more, and I just did a lot for free, and I I kind of grafted for a little while and, and, you know, took the hit, and then the paid work and the, the better jobs just came along after that. How did they start to come along? Was it just through the people you were meeting, or... Or how are you putting your work out there for people to find? 
so I I was um, at film school at the time, um, and so I was kind of trying to balance university and freelancing. And so I was doing a lot of uni projects, which was building, you know, a portfolio. It wasn't strong at all, but it was something to put out there. And I've always kind of liked promoting stuff. I like, you know, using social media. I like making websites. Um, and so I, I pushed that quite heavily, but I didn't really kind of, I don't know, I didn't pursue it, pursue being self-employed like that. I more went down the route of working a lot for free. And then when those people came back to you, I was then in the better position to say, well, listen, I'd love to do this for free, but now, you know, I'm going to have to ask for a rate. So when it came to social media, how were you putting your stuff out there? I, I began with, you know, the, the kind of normal ones like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. Um, and I, I've kind of stuck to that. I mainly use Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. I, I love social media. I, I think it's an amazing tool of the 21st century. But, you know, with particularly Instagram and, and photographers and filmmakers, it's um, it's a real double edged sword. You have so many people who pick up an iPhone and put some hashtags on an Instagram post and call themselves a photographer or a filmmaker. And the reality is I, I don't see Instagram like that at all. So in what way do you see it as a double-edged sword? When people first start on Instagram, I feel like they are so kind of uptight about getting their brand identity across and who they are as a photographer or a filmmaker, which is fantastic because you need that identity. But the double-edged sword part comes when you get trapped in that. And I think Instagram kind of breeds this environment of what can I do to get the most followers? What can I do to generate interaction? So it can be tempting that you end up posting stuff that you know will get likes rather than what you actually want to be posting. Exactly. And it just stops your creativity. I think you get trapped in, oh, well, my theme is, you know, everything has to be black and white or everything is in London or everything is moody cityscapes. And that doesn't let you think outside the box if you have, you know, almost like shareholders to please you have followers to please um you know they want a certain thing on their newsfeed and i know people who are terrified of losing instagram followers based off the content they post and it, i just think it's a real shame and have you been using instagram stories as well yeah i i love instagram stories i use it mainly for behind the scenes stuff and that seems to be what does quite well for me in, in terms of interaction it's difficult at times because I mean, as a lot of filmmakers and photographers will tell you, as soon as you kind of work with bigger brands, that non-disclosure agreement comes straight in and, and you can't post anything. So it's, yeah, I like Instagram stories. I, I used to use Snapchat and then that's kind of, you know, slowing down a little bit now. Um, but I, I like the idea that people see a window into your world past just an Instagram post. It's kind of starting to break down that, you know, one post a day type mentality. And can you see like a, a correlation between what you're putting out there on social media and the work that you get? Absolutely. Yeah. I I mean, recently, with it being summer, I've been shooting a lot of um, kind of fashion and sportswear and like swimwear type videos. And with that, you know, more work in that environment comes. Um, a year ago, I was shooting a lot of music and, you know, I was known for shooting a lot of music. And that's kind of the work that came in. So I think, you know, with with social media, you can kind of present yourself in any way that you want to. And the work that you put out there kind of dictates who you are as a filmmaker. 
And so, like I said, I've been shooting a lot of fashion work recently, so more fashion works come in. If, for whatever reason, I decided that, you know what, I want to shoot more music, I would tailor my Instagram posts and my Facebook posts, etc., based off that, knowing that people would see it and go, oh, I know someone is looking for a filmmaker and put two and two together. Mm. And, you know, within, you know, making films uh, and photography and stuff like that, often it be- it's more than just one person, for example. So do, do you find yourself collaborating quite a lot? Yeah. So I think a massive part of being a creative in any sense now is the fact that you have to be able to work really well with, you know, loads of different people in really difficult environments sometimes. So I work a lot with some guys that I went to university with. I work a lot with a lot of people in London who are in the fashion, music, promotional worlds. And like, it's something that I just, because I value it so much, I think it's so important to be able to work well with people. You have to kind of prioritize that. You have to be able to, you know, be stuck on a tour bus for people for three weeks and they not hate you by the end of it. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's something that people overlook sometimes, I think. So how have you gone about getting to know, uh, beyond the people who you met at university, like like getting that pool of people? So, um, I mean, I'll mention Jordan Green, um, who I know has been on the show before. When I first met him, it was based off a tweet. It was all through Twitter. And he was looking for a videographer to shoot something really kind of small and, and not really relevant anymore for nothing and I straight away kind of replied and said hey yeah you know would love to and based off that you know I mean me and Jordan have worked together now for two and a half years and it was kind of that initial just putting myself out there on a limb and you know contacting people who I like their work and just saying listen I'm I'm an assistant I'll run I'll you know make you coffee whatever um I'd just love to kind of meet you and and work with you and as that kind of went on and people realized that actually I can be useful, I can be, I, can have, I have a skill set that, you know, can benefit them. That's awesome. But yeah, we'll put a link, by the way, to Jordan's episode, uh, beingfreelance.com. Cool. Yeah. That must have been from like the first year that I was doing this, a couple of years ago now. Um, and yeah, I must admit that because I've been, you know, checking out your work online, I didn't realize that the two of you were working together until <laughs> I think I must have stumbled across something on Instagram and then put two and two together. <laughs> um, but so there's a lot of, yeah, I'll do this for free. Yeah, I'll do this for free. How do you know, do you feel like when you need to step it up? Because obviously you have rent to pay. Of course, it's it's a really, really difficult balance. I I worked a lot for free. I, I, I mean, I wasn't a great film student. I wasn't at uni that much. And my lecturers were great because they kind of appreciated the fact that I was working. I, you know, I was trying to be a freelancer. And so I used film school and the student finance that came with it to kind of give me a little bit of a step gap to be able to afford to work a lot for free in the first year at university. And then from there, I could kind of, you know, start to just get the odd paid job. And at first it was, you know, expenses paid or it was, you know, oh, we'll buy you beer afterwards or whatever. And it was only when I kind of, you know, started working with really small and independent, you know, brands and and bands and companies that, when they were coming to me, I started to, I, I, you know, just be able to demand a little bit of a rate. And then as, you know, the quality of my work and the brands that I was working with went up a level, um, as did my rate, and it kind of went from there. 
And did you know how much to charge based on what you knew other people, like by talking to other people or just on what your gut was? Or I, I started out by, you know, just trying to get anything that I could. Um, you know, 10 is better than zero type mentality. And then from there, I guess I started working out, okay, I'm doing this many hours and at minimum wage, this would be this. And I did that for probably about a year because, you know, at that point I was still a low level filmmaker. I was, you know, I was struggling to, to kind of get jobs. So I went from having this kind of rate of minimum wage dependent on the amount of hours I was doing. And then when I just got busier, I kind of just stepped it up from there. And all of a sudden, you know, when you have certain levels of equipment, certain levels of portfolio, you kind of demand a, a better rate anyway. Um, and it also depends on the company asking, you know, if it's a small independent band that want two hours of your time for a charity thing, then, you know, it, it's not going to be the same as if you're, you know, shooting a commercial for Rolling Stone. It's it's a totally different mentality, I guess. Yeah. So when it came to comes to your portfolio i love your site by the way the um, thank you thank you uh the way the the videos start playing on the front page again we'll put a link at being being freelance.com how have you evolved like the way you've you've shown your work in that respect um i i started out kind of and i think every creative has this um you put a portfolio together and you just kind of hope that people don't realize it is your work isn't as good as it it makes out um, and I had that mentality when I first moved to London. I was thinking, you know, I, I don't know how I'm going to get jobs. Like, this is a big town. And it was only when I kind of started doing work that I thought, actually, this is quite good. I, I have something to be proud of here and I want to show that. And so I think social media is immensely important in doing that. You know, more and more you, you network rather than at kind of network meetings and lunches and that type of environment. It's now all done on social media. You know, brands can can choose their photographer or their filmmaker based off Instagram. And I so I, I kind of tie into that. I, you know, brands want one minute videos so that it can be on Instagram. And that's something that's also useful for me because then I get to promote something that I did with said brand. My website is a massive part of that. I, I push that out. I try and keep it as up to date as I can. But, you know, as every filmmaker will tell you, is a nightmare. And the same with showreels, I think, you know, people don't have the luxury of sitting down for 10 minutes at a time and working through an entire portfolio. It needs to be, you know, short, snappy and and people be able to see what they want when they want it. And how about the way you actually work? Because it sounds like you're on the, the move quite a bit, even in the lead up to us <laughs> talking yeah. today. You were between London and Paris, you were in Germany. So uh, I presume you don't have a studio somewhere or anything like that. But Yeah, no, I, I, don't, um, I don't have a studio. I'm, I'm based in London, but as is the nature of kind of being freelance, I, yeah, I travel a lot, which is fantastic. I love traveling. But it is a double-edged sword, you know, it, it's hard at times, you know, any filmmaker will tell you, you get very little sleep, you're on the road a lot. And again, back to Instagram for a second, I think that's another thing that this doesn't show. You know, you look into someone's life and you see them traveling all around the world and they're on planes and they're on sunny beaches. You don't see them, you know, spending night after night editing. You don't see them cleaning equipment. You know, you don't see that side of things. So I guess, sorry, yeah, a bit of an aside, but um, I, <laughs> I guess Instagram is misleading in that sense. And it's that kind of lifestyle mentality of, oh, I really wish I lived that life. Whereas actually, you know, a lot of the time it isn't that. Um, 
sorry, I've totally forgotten the question you asked now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. But well, as in how, how you actually go about working. So it sounds like a lot of it, you're traveling, but it's not all glamour. You're cleaning equipment, you're spending a lot of it editing. So it's a lot of it is working on the go. Sure. Yeah. So I, I have a very kind of, you know, portable set of equipment. You know, I edit on a laptop. I shoot with equipment that can be packed down into a small pelly case. And I, yeah, I spend a lot of my life traveling, which is fantastic. And I, I really enjoy traveling, but it comes at a cost. There are times when I just want to be at home in my own bed, but that's part of being freelance. You don't get the luxury of a nine to five. And the reality is I actually really like that. I, I couldn't sit in an office behind a desk working nine to five when I could be doing this. And I guess that's something that I try and remember when, you know, things are tough. And so actually, I suppose no day is like the same. There's no routine as such. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, it's one of the things that I love about being freelance. Routine kind of makes you complacent. It makes you overly comfortable. <laughs> and as soon as that happens, I think you start to lose something as a creative, um, you know, whether that's a filmmaker, photographer, web designer, whatever. If you kind of have a different life almost every day, you're constantly looking at something different. You're constantly analyzing it differently. And that, you know, affects your work. That changes who you are as, as a creative person. So how do you stay on top of all the logistics of running your business when you're so permanently moving around i i say this all the all the time to my girlfriend that i would love a pa <laughs> um but sadly not the luxury right now but no i i absolutely adore google calendar and iCalendar. my life wouldn't run without it i'm i'm very kind of set at you know i need to have things as organized as i can at whatever point i'm at um which all the time isn't possible. You know, some jobs come up last minute and, and you have to just kind of take them and, and run with it. But I just try and stay as organized as I can. The real difficulty comes when you're shooting a lot in a small space of time for different clients. And then you also have that to edit. And editing time is, you know, not a luxury that many people have. You know, brands especially will kind of get their clothing last minute and then the video needs to be out before you've kind of even finished shooting. And it's it's a very, very tight time frame. And then that combined with the fact that as a freelancer, you don't have one boss, you don't have one kind of company that you work for. So you have to be able to juggle, you know, five, six things at once. Um, and it is difficult at times, but, you know, that comes at the cost of, you know, having the lifestyle that you get to have. It's an interesting point. Though. Like, how do you... Um you know like when everybody's saying oh, i want this now i want this now and you want to say yes but equally you want to be realistic with expectations sure uh, and there must be a fear like if you say oh no i can't do that until this day then they might just go and find somebody else so how do you balance that or do that with difficulty i mean you have to weigh up each situation as and when it happens. Um, there's been some fantastic jobs and fantastic opportunities that I've turned down or just missed out on because of, of things that like that. You know, if I've got a big client that's really important to me that needs an edit delivered and then, you know, as it did about a month ago, an opportunity came up to go to LA, but it just, it couldn't materialize because of how things had fallen. And I try and remember that you know, there's always another opportunity. There's always something else around the corner. You know, the calendar might look 
a bit stressful right now and then an amazing job will come in. But it will come again, you know, something will come up. I'd rather always say I can't phys- I can't do that than lie and then be caught out and never work for that client again. Yeah, that's solid advice. So with all this rushing here and there and busyness, <laughs> the work-life balance, how, how, how does that feel for you? Um, I, I mean, I would be the first to admit I'm an absolute workaholic. The only main reason I kind of manage to maintain a social life and a relationship is down to the fact that a lot of the people I work with and spend time with are filmmakers and freelancers and they understand it. I think the fact that we really enjoy what we do and, you know, a lot of filmmakers would tell you that, like, you go to work and you kind of socialise there and you enjoy that, that makes it easier, but... You know, there is still the fact that on a Saturday night, whilst all your friends are out, you can be up at 4am for a flight and so you miss out. So it's it's tough. I I think it's, again, something that people overlook when they think, oh, I want that lifestyle. You spend a lot of it, you know, on your own or travelling and it's not always easy to kind of have that, you know, personal life outside of it. The last six months has just been absolute mayhem, which is fantastic. I You know, I love the fact that I'm working nearly every day, which is, you know, what you want as a freelancer. But of course, it does come with a price of, you know, you sacrifice some of your personal life for that. So, I mean, like in all of this, it sounds like, you know, particularly so you were, you know, 16 and making these films and stuff and then onto film school and working through that first year of film school. It sounds like you've you had a really strong idea of what you wanted to do, where you wanted to be. And whether they were written down or not, but you definitely, it sounds like you had goals that you were working towards. And now you're doing it and you're being paid and you're you're living it. Do you have further goals that you're still working towards? Or is it now just all just ticking over and it is what it is? I I think it's so important to never stop driving, you know, never stop moving forward. Um, And I'm so, so far from where I want to end up. You know, I, I don't want to kind of be where I'm at right now and I think you know the moment you lose sight of that is the moment you again stop being creative you stop moving forward and I think that's something really exciting about the film industry you know it's it's constantly evolving the the next thing is always around the corner and something that is really cool today could be you know an absolute stereotype within six months so yeah when I I was always kind of set on being a filmmaker since I, I set out on this journey and I knew that was what I wanted to do. I never overly set myself, you know, okay, I want to have achieved this by this age um, or by this point, I want to be doing this. But I knew that for a long time, I wanted to be a tour filmmaker. I wanted to work in music. And it was only when I kind of saw the reality of that and saw what that that kind of does to you as, as a person that I thought, actually, do you know what? I'm not sure that lifestyle's for me. And so... I think your goals constantly shift. You know, right now I I work a lot in fashion and I really like this world. You know, your goals are constantly shifting and I think that's not overly a bad thing. Yeah. When I look at your site and you're a filmmaker, but you do photography as well. And I wonder whether you like, have you ever been torn like, should I just call myself a filmmaker? Should I? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, um, well, I mean, I started out in photography. I started photographing bands. I was a photographer. It was only really in my, my last year of sixth form when, when I was in the Northwest that I kind of moved more towards films. I can do photography, I'm a competent photographer, but 
I also think at some point you kind of have to narrow yourself down. And so I'm very much a filmmaker. I'm not a, you know, filmmaker photographer. But if a client needs photos as well, there is that possibility. You know, I'm not ever going to kind of rule it out. It's just not something that is my forte. You know, there's a lot of photographers in London that can do an incredible job that I would sooner recommend and kind of keep that network open rather than trying to take all the work for myself and not doing as good a job of it. Yeah. And do you ever, in in that in these sort of scenarios, do you tend to be like a sole freelancer joining within a team on a shoot, for example, uh, working for a brand? Or do clients come towards you and you end up putting together a team? Uh, it, it varies massively dependent on the, the scale of the client and, um, you know, and, and the contact initially. I would say right now it's about a 50-50 split. I have a lot of work coming in based off recent portfolio stuff that people have said, you know, I really like that. I, I want something like that for my brand. How do we go about sorting that? And that's when, you know, I have to kind of get the people together that I know would be strong for that job. And, and likewise, I get contacted by, you know, various photographers, producers, agencies, etc. that say, you know, we've seen your work and we think you would be perfect for this job. Let us know what you think. Um, so it's a real split. I think it depends on the scale and the level of the client mainly. So on those ones where you end up hiring other people, would you be the one invoicing the client and then you pay the rest of the team? Normally, yeah. And it's mainly just because clients, whatever the easiest route is for a client, that's normally the best option. You know, they just want a product at the end of the day. It's the same as buying a, you know, buying a good, um, a good, a goods. Um, it's <laughs> a good goods. <laughs> it's the same as buying goods. You know, a client just wants a service and they don't really normally care how it happens. They just want it delivering. And so if I can make that easier by, you know, giving them one payment and then I sort it from there, then that's, you know, obviously the best thing to do. Yeah, it can. It can be, uh, it, it adds in an, an added layer of managing people and also balancing your finances as well. For sure. And I think, you know, being a freelancer, as I'm sure a lot of people will say, cash flow is key. And it's a really, at times, really, really challenging part of it. You know, in, in my world recently, when I've been buying flights, hotels, trains, car rental, that money initially a lot of the time comes out of my pocket and then get, obviously gets reimbursed 30, 60, 90 days later. And that's really difficult at times. If you have a few bad months and you're waiting on those invoices that are normally to a much bigger fee because it's been international, it's had hotels, et cetera, et cetera, that then adds a much more complex part of being a freelancer it's not just about okay i turn up with a camera and shoot a video and then go home it's that business side of things you know it's the self-promotion it's the accountancy it's web design all of that is now part of being a modern day freelancer yeah and man like 30 60 90 day terms when you're also having to pay other people as well as you as you say like manage some of these upfront costs could really sting yeah i mean there's there's been times where um you know i i only finished university fairly recently and there's been times where you know i've literally had four pounds in my business account and i've gone i don't know how rent is going to get paid 
Um, and it's a very real problem. You don't realize it until it happens. And so, you know, cash flow is key. And the problem is with the music industry particularly, and I won't name any names for, for sure, but some people, you know, I have invoices from January that haven't been paid yet. And it's, oh, we're waiting for payment for so-and-so and blah, blah. And as a freelancer, you're bottom of the food chain. And it kind of, it takes its toll. You know, if, if you don't have cash flow coming through the business, then it makes going to jobs really difficult. Yeah. And how have you managed that? Like, have you got a stack of 0% credit cards? I mean, so just to put this in perspective, by the way, uh, you just said January, it's now July. So that's one heck of a yeah, it's, gap. It is. Um, I, I've managed to stay entirely debt free apart from student costs, obviously. Um, but I've, I've never put money on a credit card. I've managed to kind of stay away from that which i think is really rare for for a freelancer you know i know a lot of people who have to you know duck into that kind of that mentality of okay i can't get through this month without borrowing some money um i've got really supportive parents that's helped you know there's been times where i've had to kind of see out the month and and borrow you know a couple of hundred quid from them and then pay it back so i think that's helped and i think at some point Every freelance filmmaker is going to be in that position where, you know, I have I have no money until the 30th of this month. How am I going to get through this? Because, you know, working isn't free. You have to you have to pay for travel. You have to pay for food. And, you know, equipment costs are, are unreal for the film world. So, mm. it you know, it does take its toll. Yeah, and insurance. As well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. A lesson, uh, a lesson learned. Um, not not by me, but by a lot of people I know. Always get insurance. That is a cost you cannot miss. You just have to do it. Geez, it's. Um, would you say that that has been the biggest challenge, or has there been others? As in cash flow. Yeah, yeah. Because it is. I mean, that is tough. Yeah, I I think for for me, for the most difficult thing about being a freelancer is the cash flow and waiting on invoices and that side of things. At the end of the day, I am a creative filmmaker. I'm, you know, I'm a freelance filmmaker. I'm not um, an accountant. I'm not a business manager. And I think the kind of enjoyment of what I do doesn't come from that side of things. So it's difficult sometimes to remember that and go, you know, I'm not here for this side of the business. Although, you know, being a freelancer, you have to be. That's one of the costs of getting to do something that you love for a living. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, cool. Uh, so it's so frustrating, isn't it? When you know, like when you've been working your ass off and yet you're sitting there staring at that bank account thinking, how is this possible? Exactly. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, um, I've, I use, uh, I use FreshBooks for accounting and it's so depressing because every week they send you a weekly roundup. And I think, (laughs) You know, you've invoiced you've invoiced X amount and you've received zero, and you're thinking, "How is this fair?" Like, I'm grafting here. Yeah. Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself, make two true, one a lie. Let me figure out the lie. What have you got for me? Okay. So, my first one is: Last week, I started a shoot at six a.m. at Victoria train station in London, and 26 hours later, I was filming under the Eiffel Tower, having not been to bed. <laughs> right 
I've traveled more in 2017 than I have in the rest of my life combined up until that point. And finally, I almost ruined a concert, which I won't name, by walking on stage with the band when I was filming at Brixton Academy and the tour manager pretty much pulled me off stage by the scruff of my neck. These are all utterly believable. (laughs) Although a 26-hour shoot... And only getting from London to Paris, it almost feels like you should have got further <laughs> in 26 hours. Yeah. Although, um, 20, so 2017, you've travelled more in 2017 than you have the rest of your life. That sounds entirely plausible. Because it sounds like you're really busy, you're flying all over the place. Sure. So, yeah, I'm going to say that's true. You almost ruined a gig by wandering on stage whilst filming. You see... Why would that matter? You're fi- six a.m. That's one hell of a shoot. Six a.m. Twenty-six <laughs> hours later, you're underneath the Eiffel Tower. I don't think that one is true. That is true. Ah, we um we were what shooting. Are you doing? <laughs> I I ask myself that every day. Um, I was shooting a video for a golfing social media site. And they were doing a day from London where they played a round of golf in London, got the Eurostar to Paris, played a round of golf in Paris. And then that should have been it. And we should have been done by about 8pm. But, you know, when you're in Paris, we went out for a couple of drinks. And then all of a sudden, a couple of drinks escalated. And they all said, listen, this is great content. This is exactly what our kind of audience wants to see us doing let's keep filming. And so we filmed all night, all through um, the clubs of Bastille and uh, (laughs) eventually to the Eiffel Tower at 7am the following day. (laughs) That sounds amazing. It was a good day. Uh, It was a good day. I hope you had a lot of spare batteries, (laughs) like permanently charging every spare place you can. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Cool. Um, Okay. Well, hang on. So which one was the lie? The lie was I haven't travelled more in 2017 than I have in the rest of my life. Um, Now, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? Um, Good question. I'm not sure there's anything you could tell younger me. He thought he knew everything. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I I think I'd say life is, is, and this sounds very, you know, kind of pronounced but life's more than the money you're making when I was kind of you know 16 17 I was so absolutely determined to just as I said make it that was my goal oh I just want to make it and I think I attached kind of a financial side to that and I you know I wanted to be not rich but I wanted to be kind of doing really well and I valued my success based off the money that I was generating Whereas now, having travelled, having spent some time with some amazing people, I've realised that life's much more than, you know, your day rate or how much you've earned this week. And that side of things is really important, but it's not all that life is. Yeah. And I suppose as well, in in what you're doing, you're, you know, like where you're constantly around so many different people, does that, like, rather than just working in your own bubble, that must, at a creative level, like, help you i don't know it inspire you like to up your game or absolutely yeah i'm i i'm one of these people that i really 
think it's so important to never stop learning, never stop driving. And being around those different people, kind of like you said, it that you you can feed off that. Um, so I've worked with some amazing, amazing director of photography, some directors, photographers, and you know you learn stuff from them. You you see how they they direct models. You see how they kind of you know operate certain movements in camera, and you pick up on that. And you know consciously and subconsciously. And you know stuff like watching videos on YouTube, you can steal a technique without even realizing it. And that's something that you know working with loads of different people and being able to do that, you know, being able to step outside of the same team day in day out makes you creative. You have no other choice. And as well as stepping up creatively, like, do you talk to these sort of people about the actual running a business side of things, or do you not? Yeah, no, I do. It's it to some people, it's a little bit of a taboo subject. Um, you know, people will talk about the creative side of a business, you know, day in, day out, if that's what they enjoy. But the business side of things is, you know, equally important. At the end of the day, like you said earlier, you do have rent to pay, you have bills to pay. And so it's vital for your creative outlet that you can generate that kind of income. And so there are people that I talk to in great depth about it. Again, Jordan Green being one. And there are people who, you know, I can't really, I'm not on that level with and don't like that kind of subject. Yeah, so so you'd you'd say that you do get that kind of support slash I don't know not mentorship as such, but that kind of like you you've got it from the people you need to get it from. You suss that out totally. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, as soon as you become, you know, not a colleague, you become a friend of someone. Then you can you know you can speak to them on a real level. You can say, listen, you know, I've had this job come in. It's you know this amount for this many days in this country. What do you think? And you know, I've, I've got a selection of people that are, you know, up the ladder to me and they can kind of give me those answers and they don't mind doing so, which, you know, is, is one of the great things about the kind of freelance industry of, of filmmaking. People support each other um, and those who don't support each other find it quite difficult. Ben, it's been awesome talking to you. Thank you so much. Uh, you can check out what Ben is up to, uh, check out his photography and his films. Uh, beingfreelance.com, we'll put a link through. And also on there, we'll put a link to Jordan's episode because it was some time ago, but it is well worth a, a listen as well. Uh, so beingfreelance.com. And while you're there, of course, check out the other guests. doesn't matter what they do for a living. It's all about the being freelance. Ben, thanks so much. And all the best being freelance. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. 